The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wanted to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim. He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. <laughs> that could have been, I suppose, the opening to one of those stupid jokes from the 1980s. But when, in reality, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into one of Jesus' stories, you know you're about to hear something that is very, very important for the way of Jesus. When a Samaritan, a Levite, and a priest walk into a story of Jesus, you're about to get something that is probably revolutionary. So I'd understand the story where the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan walk into this story. You kind of have to know who these guys are, or the characters that are involved here. So the priests were, of course, the priests of the temple. They were members of the tribe of Levi, the Levites, and there, since the time of Moses, the, this tribe had been responsible for taking care of everything dealing with the worship of Israel. When they finally got themselves a temple, 
They were responsible for the temple and for the sacrifices and for the, the worship and the praise that went on inside the temple. That was their job and it was a big job and it was a very important job. Their responsibility to Israel was, was to please God and to make sure God was happy with Israel through these sacrifices and prayers and all the things that they did and the burning of incense and the liturgies and everything. Because if God was unsatisfied with them, then bad things would happen. Then the enemies would come and uh, mow them down and the fruits of the land wouldn't produce and all that sort of stuff. So you had to keep God happy by doing these things in the temple. That was the priest's responsibility and they were highly respected and had great esteem among the people of Israel because they were in a sense the ones who were protecting Israel from disaster by keeping God happy. That's what the priest's job was. Secondly, you have the Levites. They're also, of course, responsible for the temple. The priests are part of them. But, but, but they have kind of a more general sort of thing. There are also only a few numbers of, of, of the Levites that get to be priests from heredity. But among the rest of the Levites, they too had responsibilities in the temple. And they were kind of like the altar society. You know, they kept things clean and they made sure the music was sung correctly and they, they took care of cleaning up after the animal sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. So they also had a very responsible job in the, in the sort of the religious order of Israel. There's one thing about this whole thing that was very, very important that's kind of hard for us to understand nowadays, and that is the whole part of the Hebraic cult that involved ritual purity. So, you know, for a priest or a Levite to exercise their responsibilities well and to make God happy, to make them uh, uh, work in a sense, they themselves had to be pure spiritually, morally, and physically. And that's the part we don't really understand. How can you be physically pure? But, but that was a big part of the deal. So if a, if a priest had a broken arm or a broken finger or if a priest had a boil or a pimple or if a priest had, had any kind of contact with a diseased person or had any kind of contact most especially with someone who was dying or dead, they were no longer pure because they'd had contact with sort of these dark evil forces of the universe. And therefore they couldn't exercise properly their responsibilities and their sacrifices and their prayers would not be acceptable to God and bad things would happen. So they were very, very conscious about keeping themselves pure, spiritually pure, morally pure, and yes, even physically pure according to their idea. And this was accepted. This was the way everybody thought. It wasn't something they probably even thought about very much at all. It was just the way things were. Ritual purity was really important for the priests, a little bit less important perhaps for the Levites in general, but important enough. So when we encounter them in this story that Jesus begins telling to this guy who's asked about who his neighbor is, you can kind of understand why the first part of the story is not at all shocking or surprising to the people who are listening to it. When the priest encounters the poor guy who's been beat up by robbers and left to die on the side of the road, he walks right on by. He goes to the other side of the road to avoid him. But the people hearing this story would have nodded and said, yes, that's perfectly reasonable. They wouldn't even have thought about it, really. That would have just been what a priest or a Levite would do. Because if he approached the person, 
who was dying or already dead, he would contaminate himself and therefore his prayers and his sacrifices and his rituals would not be valid and would not make God happy. So his greater responsibility was to the people of Israel to keep things in balance, to keep things right with God. And, and, and taking care of this poor guy laying by the side of the road didn't count nearly as much as keeping himself pure. And everybody would have thought, yes, that makes perfect sense. No one would have thought, what a mean old guy to walk past that poor guy. How terrible, has he got a cold heart? Has he got ice running through his veins? How could he not do something for him? To the contrary, they would have said and understood implicitly that he had every good reason in the world to walk on God. And the same, of course, with the Levite. So the story takes a turn when Jesus adds a huge zinger that is, makes everybody all of a sudden sit up and pay attention to what's going on here. The most unexpected thing happens as Jesus unfolds the story. The third character to walk by is a Samaritan. Now, again, it's hard for us to understand the animosity and the disgust and the disdain that any good Israeli, any good Hebrew person, any good Jew would feel towards the Samaritans, but they were awful. Their first reaction would have been a Samaritan ick because Samaritans had once been part of the chosen people, but they had a fight and they separated and they started their own religion up on another mountain and they had their own sacrifices and all of it was a bunch of bourgeois and they weren't pleasing to God and they were heretics and they had no relationship to God. They weren't saved. They weren't capable of being saved. They weren't part of the true faith. They were awful people and you stayed away from them. Sort of like when some of us were growing up, Catholics and Protestants. <laughs> sort of, but much worse. So, Jesus throws a Samaritan into the story. And what does the Samaritan do? Instead of walking by the guy, he tends to him and he tends to him incredibly. It's beyond their imagination what Jesus tells them this Samaritan does for the poor guy sitting on the side of the road practically dead. He goes up to him, and he holds him, he touches him, he uses his wine and his oil to heal his wounds, and then he gently places him on his own beast, takes him to an inn, and after caring for him there, he has to move on, so he tells the innkeeper here, you take care of him until I can return, and here's two silver coins. Two silver coins, that was enough to take care of the guy for the rest of his life. It was a huge amount of money. And that generosity and that self-giving and that compassion and that mercy is all coming from someone who is a bad person, someone who is a heretic, someone who is a sinner, someone who has no place in God's plan of salvation. But he's the one that takes care of the poor guy who's been beaten and left for death along the side of the road. And everybody that's listening to this story going, what on earth is this about? And 
what maybe perhaps some of them are getting an inkling of is that what's happening here is Jesus completely upsetting their way of looking at God. Their understanding of God is being undone and turned upside down. He's, he's unstitching the, the stitches of their religion. He's letting the whole thing kind of go topsy-turvy because it's clear that what Jesus is talking about is what pleases God? What kind of God do we have? Do we have an almighty God who sits on a throne in heaven looking down on us poor human beings and it's only if we please Him, this almighty God up there in the heavens, it's only if we please Him with our sacrifices of animals and our burning of incense and our perfect liturgies in the temple that He's pleased with us and therefore blesses us. And if he's not pleased with us, he sends down bolts of lightning or Roman forces or plague and famine upon us. And Jesus is implicitly saying, that's not who God is. That's not what God is like. That's not what our relationship with God is called for. What God is like as he says so often, is a father who is near to us. One who cares about us with compassion and mercy. One who will do anything and everything for us. And asks us to do the same. Our God is not on a throne far away. Our God is here with us. And we can meet him in the broken body of someone who has been victimized and beaten and left for dead. And as God is compassionate with us in all of our needs freely and graciously, so we are to be compassionate to our neighbor, whoever our neighbor might be. Whether he's a stranger, whether he's an outsider, whether he's a heretic, whether he's a sinner, it doesn't matter. Compassion is always what pleases God. Far more than incense and far more than ritual purity and far more than sacrifices of animals where we cut them open and burn their flesh. What pleases the nostrils of God, the smell of burned animal flesh? What pleases the eyes of God, a perfectly pure priest? What pleases the ears of God, perfectly intoned chants in the temple? No, what pleases God's nose and his ears and his eyes and most of all his heart are the wine and oil of compassion and mercy, are the silver coins of generosity and loving self-sacrifice. That's who God is. And that's what marks our relationship to God. That's what God asks us to do for Him. And it's only when that is part and parcel of our lives of faith that the rest of it also makes sense. 
the prayer and the liturgy and the incense and the praise and the sacrifices of the temple. And we can imagine the people who are listening to this story going, uh-oh, I have to rethink my whole relationship to God. Well, we know that perhaps some of the, maybe that guy, the scholar of the law, who, who first asked the question, who is my neighbor, got it at some indication at the end of the story, that he understands. But certainly a fair number of those people who are listening in didn't get it, because it's not going to be too long after Jesus tells this story that the person being beat and left half dead beside the road is he himself. And so Jesus' message, Jesus' teaching is not just a message, it's not just a nice story about how to be nice to your neighbor. It's, it's a spiritual and moral revolution. It's a religious revolution in the mind of the people. God is here with us. God cares most about compassion and mercy and generosity and self-love. And secondly, about prayers and rituals and incense and sacrifices of animals. And that is critical for understanding who Jesus is and what his gospel is and who God is for him and by extension for us. Who is my neighbor is the question that the scholar of the law asks. But in the real way, the answer Jesus gives is who is God for us? And thereby, who are we for one another? We are called to be people who, like the Samaritan, are filled first and foremost with compassion and mercy and self-giving love. And everything else falls down. Because God is a God of compassion and mercy and self-giving love. And as Jesus tells this story, everybody listening knows that this story is no joke. That this story of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan is meant to teach us who God is and who we are to be for one another because of who God.